right, so welcome to the chapters uh, nine and 10 of the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. And for 2023, our very first book club, uh, some questions I'd like to kind of have you sit with and, and percolate as, as we go through it. Um, you know, your feelings going into the selection before you read it. Uh, were you surprised by the selection after you read it? What did you learn? What Indigenous worldview did you understand from this selection? Uh, what intersections were missing? And I, I was obviously thinking of Shelley when I, when I was thinking of that, um, because I, I want us all to be questioning our privilege as someone who's straight cis. I wanna question uh, any lack of inclusion for Two-Spirit. Um, and uh, what trigger warnings would you recommend uh, to other folks in order to try to continue that inclusivity? What would you want the authors, collaborators, or report makers to know about this selection? What would you recommend, to, or would you recommend this to others? Who would you tell about this selection and why? Uh, were there solutions, moments of joy, humorous moments that you remember? If you were going to write a letter to your elected officials, what would the main points be? And lastly, would you consider writing a public review? So I just want to kind of have those types of thoughts uh, percolating, especially for our non-Indigenous. And, um, and for Indigenous, it probably uh, was this too triggering because um, I was kind of self-reflecting as well. Uh, some of these conversations are, are way too triggering and we have lost some Indigenous folks uh, in the book club because these are so <laughs> triggering sometimes, these conversations. So, so yeah, and of course, I just want to hear how you're doing and do a quick check-in as well. So um, I know a lot of the folks here, and but I don't know if everybody um, identifies as Indigenous other than Kathy. So how about we'll start with Kathy, and then we'll go alphabetically through the comments. Participants. Hello, everybody. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say tonight. Um, I, I just wanted to say how disappointed when I was reading about the grandmother's gra grandma's house and uh, the safe house for sex workers and how the Vancouver police harassed them. Um, you know, like that's just really disappointing. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, especially after Robert Picton, like trying to, to move them to a more deserted location just seemed kind of like, ask backwards if you ask me, you know, um, but th there's the police support for you. Um, and then, uh, then I really, um, I can't even remember. I, I earmarked the Arctic Rose Foundation and I can't remember why. I never really took any notes. Um, hmm. Yeah, sorry, I, I just, um, I don't really have a lot to say. I, I, I read these two chapters. Um, they went by rather quickly. Um, I liked reading about the legacy archive. Um, you know, that was interesting. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really don't have a lot to say tonight, sorry. <laughs> that's that's all I have, thanks. 
Kathy is uh, one of those folks that I consider a good friend. And I was lucky enough to have lunch with her today. And she had made me um, this, she beaded this bracelet for me. And uh, she's beaded, I guess, a few for, um, and she brought it up today, actually, at, at the lunch for Valentine's Day, the March that's coming up. And of course, I encourage you all to participate. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Marlboro uh, United Church is uh, every evening of Valentine's Day, the uh, murdered women of Calgary are honored. And so it's a march instead of, you know, like for me personally, I'm not a, you know, give me roses, chocolates, take me out for dinner, Valentine's Day person when I know how many folks will never have that and how much violence against women is, is continued. Um, and it is supposed to be for all women, but typically only Indigenous people come and show up and honor their loved ones, um, unfortunately. So hopefully one day that will change. And Chantel Shenyong Gray Eyes, she's the one who has typically organized it recently, but it was Suzanne Dews who founded it and started it uh, along with some union folks and Mount Royal. And as far as I understand, the union still helps with like food and such for every time they, they do it. So I encourage you to come. Uh, something really cool about that is these um, red cutouts, cardboard cutouts, and they're to symbolize people who have gone missing. And there's usually names attached to them to kind of honor that person. So if there is a woman that you've lost in your entire life in the last year, um, typically there's an open mic and you can even honor them that night as well. So I just wanted to let you all know about that in case that was something you wanted to participate within. And, uh, and I, of course, encourage you to, and if you're not from Calgary, I'm sure that there must be um, marches in your area that would be doing this type of work as well. And uh, if not, I sure hope your reconciliation committees start considering doing some of that work. And I would love to see the reconciliation action group um, support Chantel in the work she does, because in that afternoon, you can just show up at the church and, you know, be putting together cheese and crackers and um, all the food and such that will be laid out for the after feast as well. So just want to throw that out there. And we have some new folks here. So we might as well just start at the top and go down, um, unless anybody identifies as Indigenous. No? Okay. Uh, Rosemary, you're on top. Then Carol, Kat, Jen, Kathy, or I guess Marla, Marnie, Shelly, um, Siri, and then Wendy. I'm Rosemary Brown. I use she and her pronouns. <clears throat> um, sorry, I, I'm not thinking clearly. I'm of European ancestry, <clears throat> born and raised on, as Bruce MacGyver would say, the stolen lands of the Onondaga Nation in upstate New York. Uh, I've lived here in Mokinstis for over 45 years. I'm a mother, grandmother, community activist. And I've been part of the book club for a while and so appreciate what I've been learning. And then through the Reconciliation Action Group, being able to apply <clears throat> some of this knowledge. Thank you. <clears throat> Carol, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Carol and um, I am, uh, my pronouns are 
she and her, and I am a settler and I am here to learn and I have learned. And um, one of the things I did, Michelle, is I heard you. And the last time you said when a land acknowledgement happens, it should say, we are settlers on stolen land. We are um, colonists. And I was at, actually asked to do an acknowledgement, a land acknowledgement, and I said that. So I said it and there was stony silence and I just carried on. So I've learned, I get it, and I continue to learn. And I'm grateful for, for this learning. I'm grateful for all of the women here um, for their willingness to talk about their experiences and to allow me to learn through them. So thank you. Thank you, Carol. And Kat, you're up next. Hi, I'm Kat. Uh, you, she, her, or they, them pronouns. I am a white settler who was born on the stolen territory in uh, on Treaty One territory. Um, I've been part of book club for a few years now as well, and I'm also part of the Reconciliation Action Group, and also run my own book club called Settlers Book Club as a companion piece <laughs> to this one. And I thank everyone who comes to this club and to my club too, because that's a heck of a lot of reading as well. And I am of um, British and German descent and an activist slash artist too. So some of the things in chapter 10 meant a lot to me. Um, and yeah, that's me. Oh, I and ap ap apologies for my uh, technical snafu earlier with the phone and I had the, the wrong link, I apologize. No worries, Kat, thank you for that. I can't wait to hear about what you thought in chapter 10. Um, I guess next would be Jen, if you're comfortable. Hi everyone. Um, so I'm very new to book club um, and really I was interested just to um, uh, learn. Um, so I'm really excited to learn from all of you um, and to be exposed to uh, readings that I wouldn't normally read. I'm a librarian by trade. Um, uh, I work downtown Calgary and there's lots of talk and lots of um, tidbits, but um, yeah, always looking to expand knowledge. And so I don't know how much I'll have to contribute because everything I read is new so far, but um, I, I certainly love hearing all of your thoughts. Great, thank you so much, Jen. Uh, it looks like Marla would be up. Oh, thanks. I was just typing a message to Jen asking if you're Jen the feisty librarian. Oh, okay, <laughs> so I follow. So I think that's on Twitter, I can't remember. Um, hi everybody, my name's Marla and I'm brand new to the book club. Um, so really looking forward to um, kind of continuing my learning. I have a terrible memory and so I read things and then I just, I forget them. And sometimes it can be so bad I forget that I've read it and I go back and read it again and realize halfway through that I read this before. So I know having some conversation around um you know what's happening in this book club is going to help um cement some learning for me so i'm really looking forward to that and um i i learned about this by michelle um i saw you at the um talk with jody wilson raybould and you said you ran a book club and i was like aha i need to be a part of that 
So um, thank you for mentioning that. And um, I'm a settler on stolen Treaty 7 land. Uh, and my background um, is German and uh, East Indian. Indian, but from a different place. <laughs> oh, and my husband, Mike, is here with yeah. us today, too. <laughs> um, hi, everybody. I'm Mike. It's my first time here. Happy to be here. Um, I'm also a settler. Um, I was born in Ontario, so just outside the Six Nations there. Um, and I'm of Dutch background. I think, yeah, I, I really, I think it's, I'm very new on the journey, I would say. So I'm just really looking to listen and to learn. I'm not looking to uh, necessarily uh, speak a lot, but yeah, just to listen and to learn a lot more because I learned quite a bit by learning, uh, by reading this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both. It's lovely to meet you both. And I hope that, uh, you know, you like it enough to keep coming back. So thank you both. Um, well, thank you all for that matter. Uh, I think you're up next, Marnie, and then Shelly, Siri, and Wendy. Hello, everyone. My name is Marnie. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I was born in Oklahoma, and that is Muscogee territory, but that is part of the whole terrible Trail of Tears, where the vast majority of the southeastern United States, the people who, who lived there, who were that land, were shoved west. Um, so, um, and I moved up here to the Nitsitapi Confederacy in 40 years ago. And um, I am a settler, obviously, European descent. My dad is Swiss, first generation living on this continent. And my mom is English and Scottish. And um, some of her people landed here 400 years ago. So 400 years this year. So um, so when I read something like this report, it feels, um, the context of it feels very personal. And there's uh, accountability here that I am learning how to respond to in a grounded and fruitful way instead of feeling guilt and shame and turning away from it, which is um, the only response I knew for quite way too long. So uh, Michelle, you've helped with that. This book club has helped. And um, I don't have a lot to say about this either because I'm more interested in listening, but I must say that I found, especially chapter 10 was healing after the previous chapters, just seeing just reading what was being done to heal and to make whole um, was very powerful and I appreciated it. So, and I'm already reading next month's book and I can hardly put it down, so. <laughs> That's a great update. I love hearing everybody learning and doing so much great work here. So I just wanna say thank you all for that great feedback too, because I did have a crap day craptastic where somebody was telling me that I'm just an angry person and I can ruin anything and I'm just like 
you have like I, I don't internalize it um but I did for 40 years um but now I don't now I know better so this this book club is healing for me too because it helps me um see when people are projecting you know white supremacy white privilege um uh sexism usually sexism too um you know that kind of concept right so I just want to say thank you all for that and I'll let Shelly speak and please Shelly promote your work here too so my name's Shelly uh I go by she her I am a settler on Soul land of Treaty 7 for my whole life because I lived in Lethbridge and moved up here and after listening to Michelle I'm getting pronunciations right because that's the only way I can learn with being dyslexic and autistic is just listening to the whole Michelle's podcast to get the right pronunciations. Um, I also am a blogger and I'm trying to talk about disability ableism and how it just intertwines into everything. And it it's a and I'm also the settler in that, oh, sorry, my sister's calling, um, who is also has a disability as well. <laughs> she, um, she, she's, I love that little girl. Um, actually, she's a woman, but just in my mind. Um, she, and um, I'm probably been here in, I'm walking, or, uh, Canada, uh, Turtle Island for 14 generations. And, I found that both Settlers Book Club and Michelle's Book Club has really um, been very helpful in understanding how racism and ableism really intertwine, that you cannot d dissect them. And I was talking about this with Michelle before, because going back to enslavement, they were trying to make um, the enslaved individuals as active, like it's crazy because they want to run away. Well, that's ableism right there. Um, but that's another thing, but just, just a right topic. And it, it, and people, a lot of people don't know about ableism, but yeah, and I've just, I've learned so much from Michelle and Kat and everyone that's, I just, and even know that I've gone through some ups and downs because I found out I was autistic and people are like, oh, you're autistic. I wouldn't have known and ableist crap <laughs> that I have to let roll off my back as well. All right, and Wendy, if you'd like to unmute yourself. Great. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Wendy Benoit. I go by she, her pronouns. Uh, I've been coming to the book club for about a year and uh, really looking forward to the year ahead. Um, I'm a settler of European descent, uh, born here on stolen Treaty 7 land. Um, and have been a Canadian all my life and only in the more recent years have recognized really what that means, have lived uh, part part of my childhood in the U.S. as well as parts of Canada. And um, it's been really wonderful to explore some context around uh, past experiences and reflect on my life and have gotten so much from this group. I, I wanted to just share a couple of things I really appreciate about this group. I think one of the things that has really stood out for me is uh, Michelle, your choice and, and emphasis on why Indigenous speak first in this book club. Um, I have really noticed it now in every other setting I'm in. Um, 
And occasionally I am in settings where they all have prioritized that Indigenous will speak first. Um, and it's just a very pronounced difference and a really important difference. Um, and just that pause and, and it, it stands out for me. So just really appreciate you uh, being so deliberate about that. Um, because I, I look forward to more spaces that do that. Um, I think, you know, I, in all settings of my life, so I'm uh, a mother, um, a wife, um, an educator, a scientist, um, a Christian, all of those things, um, the context that I've gained from discussions in this book club have helped me in, in all facets of my life. And uh, would just also like to say, you know, thank you, Michelle, for those questions that you shared at the beginning. I think a lot of the things that you um, want us to be deliberate about thinking about that you listed off, I tried to jot them down super quickly, but hopefully maybe, maybe you can um, either give us a refresher or, or I'll listen to the podcast to make sure that I got all, all of them written down. Um, but do really see how the more that I read and the more we have discussions in this group, um, I get closer to the more impactful things that you list uh, in, the, in the latter part of that list. Um, you know, building through what you're learning, what your feelings are toward, you know, what kinds of letters can be written, what kinds of things can we speak out about. Um, so just really appreciate all of that. Um, and I think, I think maybe that's all for now, um, but just really have taken so much value from this group. Oh, one last thing. I really appreciate that you've kept this virtual for a couple of reasons. Um, one has been um, that, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a mother, my kids are quite young. And um, because you do this online, I can actually often have supper with them still and, and still be able to put them to bed myself. Um, so that's super important to me. It, it makes it manageable for me to do that. And also you've been able to bring in people um, and authors um, just from all kinds of places. So you're actually bringing people together in a much more impactful way um, than you might otherwise be able to do without doing it virtually. So thank you for all of that. Well, that's really good feedback. So I, I would say thank you to all of you. And I appreciate that, Wendy. And uh, yeah, I was going to put some work into trying to find the authors to do some of these book clubs with us. And um, I have a whole stack of other books I have to do other than the ones we already gave. So I got to incorporate those into my life and just do reviews. And I, I literally started these questions also so that when I write, when I read any book that I... I put this together because in a lot of books on racism, they still don't talk about anti-Indigenous bias. And, um, and I think that that's something that I want to elaborate on. So if I start writing it and I work on it over the course of the next few years, I can probably put together a small book on anti-Indigenous bias and how um, the other, uh, you know, Indigenous or uh, inclusion, equity, diversity, how it always fails Indigenous people, because it doesn't come from that treaty point of view, it doesn't come from equality, and it doesn't ever come seeing non-Indigenous as a treaty partner. And I think that just changes the whole structure and dynamic. And that's why like a lot of new immigrants, refugees don't understand what I'm talking about and don't want to understand because they're, they're working so hard to try to fit in this white supremacist world and fitting in means being really disrespectful to Indigenous people, right? So it's a, it's a part of the system. 
And uh, so that's why some of the worst racism that I'll receive are actually from racialized people themselves, actually. So anyway, I'm just going to continue working the best I can as I do my healing, as I do my journey and go from there. They also miss disability as well. And, and isn't that true? Right. And we've talked a lot about how, uh, you know, Indigenous folks with disabilities, like, where do you read that book? You know, and you can talk about Jordan principles, but um, I find people don't get it. They don't want to get it. I don't know. So let's get to the actual book or the chapters nine and 10. Uh, so I intentionally split it up like that because I was looking at it. Um, and chapter 11, you know, it has its, you know, um, frontline experiences and talking it from that point of view. And then the actual calls to justice, I think, unfortunately, you just have to do a whole uh, session on that alone as well. So it just made sense. But even these ones, like, I think, yeah, no, I'm glad we, we combined them because that, that's still a lot of reading. But, um, you know, 80 pages is, is a bit for everybody. So, and I've already heard a lot of people talk about uh, chapter 10 um, from an artistic point of view. So, yeah, I guess let's just jump in there. I know uh, Kathy uh, had mentioned that, you know, there was a few things that she had bookmarked. And so for folks who are joining us and, and probably don't have the book, first and foremost, it's free. It's uh, available uh, online to anybody interested ever. Uh, just chapters nine and 10 are from page one to 82, basically. And uh, the first chapter is on wellness and healing. And it talks about safety, healing, and strength. It talks a lot about the different um, groups that are doing some of the work. The National Inquiries Aftercare Program and Lessons Learned. I thought maybe I'd do a section of reading from that, um, if everybody's good with that. And then the conclusion of respect and connection. And I'll, I'll probably read that. Chapter 10, I'm here for justice and I'm here for change, commemoration and calling forth. So it talks a lot about some of the um, art that that had gotten done. And I thought that was, uh, you know, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with Indigenous people always being seen as artists when it's like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put white people's culture as art, you know, like it, it's just, I, I, I've never really made peace with that, right? So it is what it is. Uh, one of the things that I thought was important is the trauma-informed approach that's on page 43, um, because I find that um, in, in Western world, there's so much blaming and shaming and actually met a gentleman from Brooklyn, New York. He has a PhD and he talks, holy cow, this man just kind of really talked about how racist um, Western mental health is in general. And now I talk about that from a racial battle fatigue, but he was actually talking about like the actual disorders that are, are you know, not, that are just racist, like the idea of social conformity um, and how that is racist. <laughs> so I'm hoping to get to set up something with him and we can have a podcast on that. But, um, you know, trauma-informed is one of those important uh, pieces because, you know, it, there's an expectation for me to be quite perfect, um, any Indigenous person to be perfect. And if we make a single mistake, if we swear, you know, then we're just angry we're angry people. I was called that today because I, I didn't even swear. I just was talking about how with the Syrian refugee issue, 
there's erasure, indigenous erasure, and that just perpetuates colonialism. And, um, you know, it's just, it's constant. And then I get attacked. And because people are doing it on a brown woman's wall, they don't think they're racist. You know, like this is the typical uh, settler colonial ways of uh, being and then being the model immigrant citizen. You know, it's just perpetuating all of that as well. So it's just the constant um, violence that is Indigenous people we face that if we dare advocate for Indigenous inclusion, that somehow we're being angry and, you know, being, uh, how did he put it? I can't remember something about just always bringing down the conversation and it's like you know is it bringing down the conversation or is it too much truth for you to handle and you know the truth is we need to do more indigenous inclusion um the syrian refugees when nenshi called a town hall and said how are we going to do this i said well i would like to see there be a a systemic change that when anybody comes to canada anyone new that they hear our drums see us dancing in regalia, smell our smudge. That's the first thing they see, not, you know, cowboy hats and, uh, you know, not our culture and uh, see us in a good way. And that wasn't implemented. It was like a, they did a one-off event. You know, it, it was so disappointing how people don't see the importance of being treaty partners with Indigenous people. So trauma-informed really talks about the awareness, the emphasis on safety and trustworthiness. Um, As you've all watched me try to create a safe space here, why that looks so different for Indigenous people after so many like intergenerational issues of mistrust. So I really like that component because um, honestly, I think that Canada needs, needs this as like part of their landscape. I've been wondering if we should write a book called the the trauma country because it's not just us ironically it's all the folks who have left wherever they came from to come here so uh the aftercare program i have some personal feelings about how shit-tastic that was but at least they tried to explain what they wanted to do um i found that it was really picky and choosy about who they gave self-care to and and aftercare to and if it wasn't for the training I had beforehand, um, I'm sure I would have found this is incredibly traumatizing. So um, anyway, chapter 10, uh, the commemoration. Oh, I thought I was going to read that. Where did I learn or where did I see the conclusion part? Here it goes. Okay. For Monique F. FK, sorry, FH, whose work helping others was informed by her own experiences. Drawing from the other stories and experiences of other women gives her the motivation to continue to work and to do the healing. I try to give back to them, uh, providing strength and lifting up others and doing so in a spirit of respect and connection. Uh, These are the principles that witnesses articulated over and over again. Understanding that healing requires a holistic approach must be delivered in a culturally safe and specific way without an expiry date is key to ensuring whatever solutions are generated as a result of this process that can be successful. Uh, The provisions of self-determined services led by those who know what's best, they and their families and their communities might need is this important and basic truth upon which all others must be based on. Now, I think that this is incredibly important because um, 
In Alberta, we have so few culturally safe spaces. The majority of places I go into will not allow me to light a smudge. So for example, um, on the winter uh, solstice, there's an event that happens every year. And it was led by uh, a Métis man named Randy Pages and his friend uh, Nigel. And they founded it, they started doing it. It was something that was started somewhere else and they do every year. Anyway, on solstice, it's the longest night of the year. And they, they honor all the homeless people that were lost over the year. So it was like minus 40. So where they wanted to do it, there's a beautiful statue in the belt line to honor uh, homeless people. And that's where they originally wanted to do that event. But because it was minus 40, uh, the city allowed them to do it at the uh, city hall atrium. That said, there was no smudge allowed because to this day, the city has not done the work of allowing us to have protocols for smudge. So, um, you know, that's, I hope, an inspiration for folks listening or for folks who uh, are here to consider writing a letter for just that reason alone. There was some Indigenous inclusion. Uh, there was uh, an elder who did a Christian prayer, and there were a couple of uh, dancers with a drummer. And uh, a lot of folks spoke about folks that they had lost over the course of the year. It's, um, it's hard, but it's also healing. And then we were all given uh, a candle, which I left on for two days, you know, to honor the uh, folks that we've lost over the year, and which I know are disproportionately Indigenous. Um, and why is that? Because we can't even light a goddamn smudge when we need to. I've tried to work with Calgary Police on allowing that so that a sexual um, assault victim could light a smudge while telling their story. So there's a lot of protocol that has to go in that instead of like, at least now you can, but it took a lot in order to get there and advocacy well, well beyond me. Many people were advocating for that long before I was. So it, when we talk about trauma informed, we talk about cultural uh, safety, the new Alberta governments, like they are absolutely against uh, in any capacity, it seems uh, for there to be Indigenous inclusion. So, for example, uh, I'm a part of the White Bison Society, which does uh, training for Wellbriety. And Wellbriety is based more around Indigenous culture and the medicine wheel. Uh, there could be a conversation about whether the medicine wheel is a white person concept of it or not, but that's another day. Uh, bigger picture is that at least you smudge, you talk about um, intergenerational trauma, and you're not disregarded. A lot of people who are Indigenous, who've had poor experiences at the hospital, teachers, um, with the justice system, every level of any care you could possibly imagine can talk about the, the racism that they experienced without judgment, which is exactly what you get in white institutions. Um, so that's a huge issue, as well as lighting the smudge. So anyway, when we did run, I, I was certified to teach Mending Broken Hearts, and that was done at the Métis Lodge uh, 43 here at Forest Lawn, because that's one of the only places that you're even allowed to smudge, which is pathetic. So, you know, big push for settlers listening or for folks here, you know, really push for disability inclusion and for uh, protocols for Indigenous people. It should be standard, but it's not. And, and people think it is, and they think we're doing a lot of conversation on reconciliation, but we're not there. So 
just want to throw that out there. Um, does anybody have any thoughts before we move on to chapter 10, which I know a few folks have already talked about it being excited about? Seeing none. I, I, th I think chapter nine was so important because <clears throat> when they talk about, you know, the four pathways to violence, one is the non-recognition of indigenous experience and knowledge and wisdom when it comes to solving, right? Issues around violence. And <clears throat> this whole chapter um, with just example after example after example, right? Of how indigenous people have come together <clears throat> to work with each other on healing. <clears throat> sorry, and trying to incorporate all those issues we've talked about, especially cultural safety, but also programs to, for reconnecting people to their culture, because we learned in past chapters that <clears throat> the, the destruction of culture or loss of culture due to colonization is a form of violence in itself and just seems to be foundational. To, to so many issues and problems. So to see how so many of those programs focus on bringing in elders, um, cultural ceremony, um, it, it, it just reinforced how important that was. And like Kathy, I was just so horrified at the grandmother's house with the city wanting to, to, to move the space. And then the police, publishing the address, totally contravening all the safety protocol around shelters for Can women. Can I just I, uh, jump in here real quick, Ben, because it's been brought up now twice. <laughs> like, so Awatan Healing Lodge was founded by Ruth Scalplock, but they originally wanted to put her in an industrial park and she had to mm -hmm. fight for it to be where it is. And to this day, the staff there and folks like me regularly tell Google, can you please take the location of Awatan Healing Lodge off of the map? Because it's constantly put on over and over. So the very search engines of like, you know, all these webs, they, they purposely put um, women's shelters on them. And there's not really a, a real clear structure. And that's just, again, another level of violence that Indigenous people face, but also women, right? And, and this is constant because of the racism and like, I haven't even looked past it because I haven't had the time, but if there were somebody who wanted to go into the archives and have a look at what was being said at the time they wanted to put Awuton where it was, she had to fight really hard and it was if it wasn't Ralph Klein being an ally, it wouldn't be there, it would be an industrial park and um, that's why she calls Ralph Klein her brother, even though she ran for the NDP and knew that kind of broke their relationship. So it's important to say, cause it's right here too. And it's every day. Mm -hmm. So, and so we'll go Shelly then Carol, but I know you haven't finished Rosemary, so I apologize. It's okay, it's okay. That was really important information. And I'm just not clear on one thing. Who's putting the address of all the shelters, including Awotan on maps? Uh, Google's like the search engines themselves, right? Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I spoke a, a lot and, and 
I'm, I'm sure there's more, but I, but I can't remember. And in turn, do you want me to talk about chapter 10 too? Or no, we're just doing chapter nine right now? Sure, let's just do chapter nine and we'll circle back to chapter 10 okay. here after yeah. uh, Cheryl, or uh, Shelly sure. and uh, Carol. I said Sherry. <laughs> now you two are a thing. You're like, uh... <laughs> I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> I, I'm used to being called Sherry because that's my mother's name. She named me as close to her name as possible. <laughs> Um, it was, it's not so much about chapter nine, but it was what you were talking about on your last, one of your last podcasts about the unhouse shelters, them being Christian based. Why does it, why do, why are unhouse shelters have to be a religious base and isn't it United Way or is it the one that is very homophobic? Is it United Way or was it the, um, Salvation Army? You're thinking Salvation Army, sorry, yep. not, you know, sorry, Salvation Army was being very homophobic. Like it just it it blows my mind that in, in this this province can't do harm reduction. Like I was talking to Michelle about harm reduction about with anorexia and bulimia. That's the most deadliest mental health. And it's showing, yeah. So it just it I, I thought that was a very powerful um conversation that you had with like escapes her, her name escapes me. But it was very, I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's um, Stephanie Harp. Yes. Yep. And it's like people are dying outside because they do not, probably do not want to go to something that's faith-based and that are, it's homophobic and that people are getting hurt inside. Like I know there's a, 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 a worker shortage, but maybe if you pay, pay people to um, pay more, for the uh, the workers in the the shelters, or actually the whole shelters probably need to be re. That's another topic, but if you, peop, the government needs, to, I think that people just need to be. Sorry, I'm very upset about this because everybody should be treated the same, and AHS can't even get trauma based therapists. They're all just generalized, and there's so much trauma that you have to go to outside private therapists and they're very expensive. So how are we supposed to heal? And all the all the private or the, the volunteer runs are all wait are wait, waiting lists. So how you're just gonna go deeper into depression and whatnot. So it's really systemic. Just to add one more point about your comment though about uh, Christian based um, issues. So a lot of Indigenous women talk about how violent these shelters are. That's why they would rather freeze to death and die outside of them. And the other part is, is that if you are part of the LGBTQ2 plus community and have been rejected by your family and society based off of a Christian value, you know, that's like one of the mostly safe to places to go as well. So just wanted to add that too and, and say thank you for all your thoughts. And Carol, if you want to unmute yourself, please, by all means. Thanks, Michelle. Um, I didn't tell everybody, by the way, that I am from the biggest colonizers ever. I am UK um, ancestry. I'm Scottish and English and, you know, sort of the horsey Camilla Bowles kind of English people. So, you know, the uppity ones. So hopefully I'm not. But when I read this, um, Michelle, like I read it forces me to read outside of it as well. And one, and I made notes here. So 
there's this um, sort of political phrase that often appears in the feminist literature, and it says nothing about us without us. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in here, and I, I see it in the whole report, but I see it so strongly in, in chapter 9 and, and 10, really. And I couldn't help but think of Stephen Harper in 2014 when he said, you know, he had that CBC online um, news uh, thing going, and he said that, you know, this whole um, missing, murdered Indigenous women wasn't on his radar wasn't on the radar and, and and I come back to that all the time and he is to me a symbol of the interlocking um, systems of oppression you know the colonialism the white supremacy the racism the patriarchy the violence and I saw this like this is what it brings up in me you said how do you feel this is what this is what comes up in me and um so important the self-reclamation so i i just felt like i had to that. so thanks michelle no i appreciate that and you know um there was a fundraiser for conservatives around that same time with his wife and at that time um, there were some activists in the audience that were trying to get her to talk about MMIW. And she said, I'm sure that's a really important uh, subject, but I'm here to discuss cats. And it was a fundraiser for like a cat based um, organization. And, and that was just kind of like the, to me, kind of to go along with what you're saying, like here are two white people of total privilege who could care less about Indigenous issues. I mean, at that time, they still had Tom Flanagan on their team, you know, mm -hmm. very discredited racist. Um, there are Indigenous people who uh, nationally have theses just to debunk the crap that he has put out in the entirety of his career. And it, it's so sad when I see like a UFC, you know, continue to bolster the image of people like that, that they're kind of proud of still, and not, you know, debunk some of this misinformation as racist. So like we have, you know, recent articles, I, I have two books that I will not say here, but I uh, have every intention of reading just to give, um, you know, uh, basically attacking the concept in general of what they're saying. And of course, both co-authored by not just a UFC prof, but also an MRU prof. Right. So and uh, Shelley makes the point that actually a disability slogan, uh, nothing about us without us. And it goes back to a Latin term that means if we're being discussed, we need to be at the table. And uh, as you will all know, Canada has the longest history of never having Indigenous people at the table and uh, imposing the Indian Act and believing they're going to take care of us good little Indians. And, you know, it, it's so pathetic. And hopefully one day people will, will see, um, like Hitler literally looked at Canada and went, wow, that's great. Let's do that to the Jews. So like, how people don't say that more and talk about that more, I, I'll never understand. Uh, so I guess moving on, oh, go ahead, Rosemary. Just one more thought that I had from sure. that chapter is that one of the women spoke about how, <clears throat> um, ceremony could could be healing and she said that um for her like the ceremonies that she participated in didn't necessarily come from her specific indigenous 
culture, but they still had great meaning uh, for her. So I just wanted to throw that out there to you and Kathy. Uh, I mean, I have ideas about why I think that's so, but why do you think that's so? Uh, in Wellbriety, we talk about how culture is prevention, and um, and that's just a reality, right? Because I think we don't talk enough about identity, and I think we we um, have so much Indigenous erasure. And then I kind of made a joke in the comment section at one point in time, we're like a gaslight nation where we've never given space to Indigenous people to tell their truth. So I think when a bunch of Indigenous people from different nations get together and they tell their truth, um, that's healing because we don't even get spaces when we pay a stupid amount of money to go see a stupid doctor who's supposed to help us. They don't get it because they're not anti-racist, they're not anti-colonial, and then sometimes they're sexist, right? So I, of course, when you're actually heard and you're not gaslit, that heals. Um, you should also mention, just because you brought up the, that, just to, along the lines of what you're saying, January 4th um, was ribbon skirt day. And why was that important? Because a little girl in Saskatchewan was bullied by her teacher um, what had happened for folks who don't know is that there was a Christmas concert and the teacher said, everybody wear their best clothes. Um, and she showed up in her ribbon skirt and the teacher made fun of her. So we had rallied over the Christmas holidays and in the course of over a year, it has become a national holiday now. So there is healing in, in, that, in that work that was done. And thanks to the advocacy of not just that little girl, but her family. So that, you know, the National Women's Skirt is not any calls to action. It's not any calls to justice, but it's such an obvious um, answer to what needs to be done in this country for education. As Marie Sinclair says, you know, it's education that got us into this mess and it's education that's gonna get us out of this mess. So, and Carol says, thanks for the clarification. It appears to be in the feminist literature, likely borrowed, but speaks to needing an intersectional approach. And, you know, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Go ahead, Shelley. I just wanted to say that feminists approach, be careful with feminists because like, especially the first waves, they're very eugenic, the first waves, and they're very white middle-class uppity women um they didn't care about any other marginalized women so feminist has a very bad history i just i like to put that out there uh, i think second and third wave feminism may be better but the first wave of feminism was really brutal and just to emphasize that role and that point and the violence against indigenous women in mokinstis um back uh in the whole right to vote for women in uh, Canada was based off of the back of a Métis sex worker. By dehumanizing her, the white judge, the female who was part of the famous five that got the white women the right to vote, um, dehumanized her and made her not a person in order for the judge, the white woman, to be considered a person. So the, the statue that we have outside of City Hall in Olympic Plaza, and it, it has a duplicate right at uh, in Ottawa, it's a joke. And until they add uh, more information and honor. Her name was Lizzie Sear. So Lizzie and then C-Y-R. She is the reason why women in Canada have the right to vote at all. And that was a Métis sex worker. So Marnie, you have your hand up. 
you know, I had my hand up because I thought I had something to say. And since that moment, I've just been learning so much that I realize I know nothing and I don't know. I'll just say what I had to say, but I want to put it in context of having just learned a lot. So one of the things, and when I said that I'd love chapter 10, that was fine. But chapter nine really got me. It was chapter nine I meant. Mm. I love the healing of it. And um, I love that. Uh, appreciated it. And it went, I felt it. Um, one of the things that I thought was most powerful was the term they use, no expiry date. Mm. You know, you don't get six weeks of, of therapy and then you're, you're good. You're, you know, that's such profound harm right there. And so the no expiry date really meant I loved it. And um, I, I'm sorry to say it, but I'm not surprised about what the cops did. I, I think the, the, I mean, when you think of the history of cops, it's slave patrols and clearing the plains. That's what, it, that's what they're about. So we can't, we, we cannot be surprised about that. When we're surprised about that, we contribute to the problem because we don't expect it to happen. Just and, such a great point. And we should add that nationally, despite all the defund to fund campaigns that have happened, they've all the police budgets have gone up nationally, all of them. The Calgary, so, the Calgary police budget is over a million dollars a day. Imagine what one shelter could do with a million dollars, never right. mind a day. So um, so, and the other, the other thing is about the, the Christian shelters, what I understand of them is that it's not just the religion, but it's also the abstinence based. And, um, yep. Great point. So that, that, that also doesn't always work for people in any meaningful way at all. So, and back to your expiry date and that concept of, um, what I find with, uh, indigenous people that Canada does to, you know, constantly undermine us is that they have small contracts. You know, um, oh yeah, we'll we'll run this one program, but it can only be six weeks. And it's like if you can't make it between this time and this time, God forbid you work, uh, God forbid you miss one class, something like that, right? Then it doesn't work. So um, yeah, that's really problematic too. So great points to add to there, folks. All right, should we move on to chapter ten? Seeing you, well. <laughs> okay, so. Um, this one, I'll just read a little bit of the intro. Um, everything that our ancestors took, they turned into beauty, such as art. They used every tool that they ever had access to, to write, to tell us stories, to record history. Uh, so from carvings to painting on rocks, to tools of beadwork, you know, the way we dressed, all of it was stories of our identity, our history, and who we are as people. Um, what, I'm going to read this part. This concept goes beyond the traditional confines of what has been understood as commemoration in Canada. Among the other changes, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action have changed the dialogue around commemoration, compelling non-Indigenous Canadians to, be, to begin to acknowledge and remember the ongoing impact of colonialism on Indigenous peoples and communities. The TRC calls to action 79, 80, 81, and 82 all speak to the importance of approaching commemoration through a new lens. This includes Indigenous representation in decisions on commemoration, the establishment of new initiatives such as the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, and residential school monuments across the country for victims of the system. In addition, call to action 83 is a call for the Canadian Council 
for the arts to establish as a funding priority, a strategy for Indigenous and non-Indigenous artists to undertake collaborative projects and produce works that contribute to the reconciliation project process. So, um, and it goes on about talking about that for folks who are listening in. And the Legacy Archive, um, honoring the lives of women, girls, and two SLGBTQIA people in future generations. Um, I think that that's incredibly important. Like we should be basically saying everything. The complicated nature of archives. I can tell you stories as the MMIW co-chair of the craptastic things that the Calgary Police and the whole um, corner system does to folks that they find that they call unclaimed. Can you imagine? calling someone unclaimed. Uh, there's references to UNDRIP, um, the legacy archive policies that would include articles 8.1, uh, 11.1, 12.1, 15.1, and 31.1, um, and the calls to action 13, 79, 43, and 44 to talk about artistic expression of legacy archive and commemoration. And uh, for folks who may not have the book, uh, there's some beautiful pieces in here that I just wanted to tell everyone about. So uh, page 64 shows um, a beautiful red willow basket. Um, and it, it has, it says here, at each of the hearings to symbolize the process of truth, gathering truths, which are then woven together as a whole. Um, they have a glass feather that was done by a, an artist. They have uh, heart-shaped um, felt pieces with uh, tiny moccasins that are attached, tiny uh, mitts that are attached, um, brown baby booties, uh, those were donated. And then a beautiful art piece uh, by Monica Rumbold called Motherly Love. Um, a star blanket that was that has small pieces of individual work put together. Um, and that was a community art piece that was put together, a beautiful Anuk um, picture of a sister drumming in faded red. This is 66. There's some poetry on 67. And then it, we talk a little bit about the healing um, and kind of the talkings about what people were going through when they made their art as they they go through it and uh you know Kathy I, I know you don't have a lot to say but between some of the sewing and beading you do you know maybe sharing what happened at that Cindy Glad you um making space workshop that they had for two days and uh, what Cindy's family did in the pin that you had made that I got to see today if you're comfortable yeah um it was just really nice to, to spend some time with, with her family. Um, being that I'm so shy and kind of awkward, I didn't actually go up and introduce myself to them. They were at the one end of the room at a table for some of the time. They actually had them in their own family room for most of the day. And the, they did come out and sit with their new baby, Cindy's grandchild, newest grandchild. 
Um, so I knew that was them. And, um, you know, I, when I was leaving, I, I just said goodbye. And, uh, you know, I really should have introduced myself more. Um, but it, it, it was just nice to see them all there, the children, the young ones, the baby, the grandmother, the aunties, they were all there at the table there um, doing arts and crafts. Um, the first day was just basically arts and crafts, um, making messages of support for the family, the Gladue family. And the second day was um, some of the same, uh, but there was the teaching by the three lawyers in, in a, in the uh, university build room, you know, um, and that was interesting. I really liked the one speaker, Jean Telliot or something. I can't. She was um, from Métis Red River uh, community, and she was a really good speaker. Um, Val Napoleon. Um, I didn't quite get as much out of her, but actually, I can't believe how much she is um, referred to in the uh, index and stuff. Like her name's in there quite a bit. I'm like, okay, like, you know, so I, I think maybe I needed to listen more to her. Um, I don't know what that program was going to be recorded and is available after the fact. I mean, I was right there, just like 10 feet away from front of these ladies as they spoke, but I just, um, I really, I thought they were going to talk more specifics about the Cindy Gladue case and, and, and stuff. And I, um, so I think I kind of started to tune out because it's like, well, they're teaching basic legal history, which is not news to me because I have been reading a lot. And so I guess I just kind of tuned out when Val was talking because um, I didn't seem to get much from her speech, but I uh, definitely will be trying to look up more of her stuff. Um, and her auntie made all these little uh, fabric with ribbon skirts from scraps of fabric. And some of them she just glued and some she sewed, you know, so they, they, were, they were quite cute. There was a lot of them. She made like 1200 of these little tiny ribbon skirt pins for people to put on. And um, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I just like, I just wanted to know more about it. I, I, I just, I think I wanted to know more about what can we do to stop this kind of, like, you know, the, the whole trial was just so disrespectful and and I wanted to hear more. I was hoping there'd be like, this is what we're going to do to stop anything like this happening again. And there was none of that. So, you know, like that's, I guess that's what happens when you go in with preconceptions, right? Um, you know, I uh, I was hoping that they'd really teach us because they called that part a teach-in. So I was really, but I, I guess they were teaching some legal history, you know, but I think most of us that are in the book clubs here, have read all of that stuff already. So it was kind of like, I wanted specifics and, and, and I didn't get it, but that's okay. I was there. I feel good. I, I just, 
I just happened to, I've been wanting to make a blue ribbon skirt for a long time. And because I just, I found out a few months back that Crees wear blue in winter, that our medicine wheel doesn't have black. So I found a ribbon, uh, some denim fabric at Goodwill for $3.50. And it was like, I found that on New Year's Eve. So on New Year's Day, I just was kind of thinking, well, you know, if I get a skirt made, maybe I'll go to the Cindy Gladue because they were asking people to wear blue or purple ribbon skirts. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll go. So I got the skirt made. And then so on the second, I decided that I was going to go to the Cindy Gladue because I had the skirt made. I'm, I'm not working right now. The weather's nice. You know, the highways were great. So I decided to go. So um, I'm glad that I went. It, it, it makes me feel good. I, whatever motivated me to go, it, it was a good thing. And um, and I know that they, when they read the register, they were like, somebody came from far away. And I'm like, well, Calgary's not that far away. But, you know, um, it just kind of made me feel good when I could hear them talking in the background as they were looking at the book. Um, yeah, you know, to let them know that, you know, people do care. But I also grew up in that neighborhood around the Yellowhead. That's where I was born and raised. So um, that, that North Central section of Edmonton is where I grew up. <laughs> I remember riding my bicycle in, in the parking lot of the Yellowhead before there was a Yellowhead trail. There was the hotel there, you know, like I remember it. So, yeah. But anyway, I wanted to talk a bit about this, um, that painting, that Anuk painting. So if everybody can see, um, I really love that and the poem that goes with it. It just like really touches me. I don't know, just, um, I love those big giant drums that they drum up north, you know, like to me, that's just like, wow. You know, like it's so different than our little drums that we use and they drum it in a different manner. And and I just, um, I just really am touched by that painting, you know, like I think it's beautiful. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Thanks. Well, I'll just add, I watched that Zoom and um, yeah, I kind of Zoomed out too. Um, but I did want to say that there were some things that were missing from that conversation that I wish people knew. Um, I don't know if everyone here is even aware of what Cindy Gladue is. Um, is there anyone who is iffy on? No. Okay. So Cindy Gladue was an indigenous mother and she had uh she was being trafficked by her boyfriend basically and they got her really really drunk and, and high so that she could be trafficked with this one gentleman this gentleman his name is uh, barton and he is a truck driver and um he was looking at awful graphic um sexual pain type images and and videos and such and he wanted to recreate that and he did and he uh, ripped a huge hole in her vagina and um, she bled to death in the in the bathtub and was left there to die and uh, the he, he's never denied doing it he said it was consensual 
as if the blood alcohol and such in their in her body could have possibly made it consensual. Um, and she's of course dead, so I don't think anyone consents to uh, death and sex. Um, and on top of that, uh, the original judge called her uh, an Indian sex worker, like always dehumanized her. And um, so that's not even the worst part. The very worst part was that they actually um, took her insides, her sexual organs, and put them on display for everybody to determine, well, was it a rip or was it a tear or was it a cut? And the lawyers literally dissected her vagina, her canal to determine whether it was that. And it actually took multiple trials. And something that was not said in that teaching was that um, if it wasn't for the legal intervention of Awatan Healing Lodge and the advancement of Aboriginal women in Edmonton, that that appeal never would have happened. So like, if it wasn't for Indigenous women like talking about it we've had two rallies here in calgary i led both of them and the only organization that showed up was shift the first time they didn't show up the second time um so just to give an idea of how awful this was and i couldn't believe white women alone weren't mad because it set the legal precedent that it's okay for all vaginas now to be a part of uh, the court proceedings and so she was never buried whole and that's a, a major spiritual issue for us too. So for folks who are unaware, um, you know, so now the family is trying to heal from this. And, uh, you know, Canada, I would argue, has never properly acknowledged her. Like, you know, a little girl gets bullied from wearing a ribbon skirt. We have a national holiday, rightfully so. Um, what happened to Cindy Gladue should be the biggest black eye to Canada that should change, like we should change the maple leaf inside our goddamn flag to like a, an MMIW like red dress, an orange one, something to showcase. This is what Canada is built on, dead indigenous women and Indian residential schools, right? So just wanted to give that background about Cindy Gladue. Go ahead, Kathy. I just, um, the one thing I took out of all those speeches was the fact that, uh, I think it was Jean, the first speaker, was saying how the um, justice system has not changed in centuries and it needs to be overhauled. She's like, it's the only profession that you could be this uh, 200 years ago and you could go into a courtroom and, and perform your job 200 years later, exactly the same. You, you know, like physicians can't do that. You know, like yeah, nobody else can do that. And, and that really kind of blew me away. Like that was uh, a good point that she made that our justice system is archaic and really yes. is in need of um, an adjustment, um, especially in this time of reconciliation. And I think indigenous people should have at least one third of the vote on how it changes. <laughs> I'd say half, if not full um yeah they fucked up for over 150 years we don't need another 150 years of fucking up frankly so yeah. you know like holy all right so um so there's um a section on youth engagement uh reclaiming power in place um i think that these are important concepts. We've actually named some of our um, sisters and spirit vigils after reclaiming power in place. Um, 
a lot of uh, conversation about the red um, ribbons. We we actually did a, I can't remember, it was during a holiday, over a holiday, maybe five, six years ago, where we tied a bunch of red ribbons on the bridge to talk about these issues. Um, and that's just kind of an example of reclaiming and knowing the city will take it off eventually, but who cares? So uh, conclusion, arts, art actions for the future. For those who donate uh, artistic expression to the legacy archive or who participated in public art action, like the Reclaim Project or the creations of their own, their work is not only about commemoration and it is not restricted to making change today. As JC Coochie from um, Sturgeon Lake Cree Nation shared, I'm doing this for all our lost and stolen sisters, and my daughter is a motivation. I don't want her to grow up scared. I don't want her to grow up the way I did. In a video capturing her project, uh, Casey made herself look like a victim of violence and sat in silence in a hallway for three hours to confront people with the violence that Indigenous women face. JC wanted to symbolize the silence that Indigenous women also face when looking for help. God, I could feel that way today on that goddamn thread. Nobody coming in to say, hey, it's wrong. Um, the National Inquiry hopes that the Legacy Archive, the student and youth engagement strategies, the Reclaim Project, and all of the actions these projects inspire will have legacies of their own and inspire more acts of commemoration, awareness, courage, healing, and justice. These acts are important in fulfilling a key pathway to safety and restoring power and place to Indigenous women, girls, and to SLGBTQIA people everywhere that they are. So I wanted to make sure we got that last conclusion in before um, we got, we closed. But does anybody, I know Kat, you had something to say. Uh, do we, does anybody want to talk about chapter 10 in their way? I'll go if no one else is going. Um, yes. Art is obviously, I'm really glad that they um, brought up art as a healing tool. Um, and also I was reminded how powerful archives are and who controls them, who controls the narrative, what is saved, what is recorded. And it's really great that there is um, a legacy archive from, from this report. And hopefully, yeah, more art actions. And I encourage anybody to do a gorilla art action with us. Um, as part of Reconciliation Action Group, we have yarn bombed a few things and uh, that and spray painted chalk and in front of places too. So um, that is about bringing awareness and claiming space too. So if you wanna join us on art actions, come on over to Reconciliation Action Group. Our meeting is actually next Sunday on Zoom. So, um, you can message me or Michelle um, about the uh, uh, Zoom invitation or just email reconciliationactiongroupyyc at gmail.com. I'll put that in the chat and we'll add you to the mailing list. That's all, thank you. And Michelle, you are amazing and you inspire me constantly. So um, I hope you know how valuable you are and feel it from us at least from us, if not the rest of the world should know your brilliance. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. You've always been so kind to me. 
she sends me little gifts all the time too for like to recognize my birthday or whichever is this Kathy and I I wish you all knew how much it fills my heart so thank you for your kind words and support um you know you've watched people attack me and leave so thank you for staying the course and because she brought up the reconciliation action group uh something that i was sharing to a few folks in the reconciliation action group is that one of our fellows a white man who uses his privilege in a good way dr jeff halverston he um is going to be on a panel discussion on interrogating whiteness and um, it's a part of the diversity equity committee for Dalhousie University uh, with Dr. Eli Manning. Um, yeah, so it looks like it's going to be really good on the panelists is AJ uh, Parazam, uh, Harjit Badwal, and him. And I thought there was a few others, but it, my thing cut off here. Anyway, it looks like a really good program for anyone interested. It looks like you can um, participate through an Eventbrite registration. Uh, panel discussion on interrogating whiteness. So, and it has AI generation generated captions as well. So just wanted to throw that out there. And Carol, you have patiently had your hand up. Please go ahead. Thanks, Michelle. I just wanted to say to you that um, this, this um, book club is hard slogging. It's hard slogging for everyone. And we just have to appreciate your willingness to take us through that tumbling sphere of human emotions that arise here. I will never forget, as long as I live, dreamt you came home last night. That I will never forget that. And that, that stopped me. That said everything. Um, I also just wanted to mention that I probably should say I strongly identify with the feminist movement. I've been through multiple waves of it, and I am well aware of how flawed feminism is. And it's flawed because humans are flawed and humans are part of it. And that we made a mistake. We thought that trickle down equality and equity would occur. It did not. It never will. And this final wave, the third or fourth, depending on who you read, speaks to this now. It speaks to that we did not do right by Indigenous women. And I think Lee Miracle speaks to that very, very well. And I encourage everyone on this uh, um, uh, Zoom call to read Lee Miracle, because she says it all. Beautiful writer. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Michelle. Oh, thank you. And, and may she rest in peace. Uh, Shelly, next. I would just, um, I, I'd also say it's, a, it's not about it being a privilege to learn about this stuff, learn about privilege, about learning about anti-Indigenous um, racism. And, ableism, homophobia, and all that, it's a privilege to learn about it because we don't, we don't live it. I live ableism every day, but I don't live anti-Indigenous stuff every day. So it's a privilege to learn about racism. Um, there's books about um, a case against white feminism. And I've learned about there, I've, I've picked that book up. I haven't read it yet, but feminism was also really horrible to disabled women. Um, and disabled people in general. Um, 
the Nazis started that. That's where they started in World War One too, because they started killing people like me and my sister. Actually, my sister more because I can hide myself. Um, people with developmental delays. Um, we, people are flawed. People are, but we can change. I'm not. I'm, I've always said that we can't be. Um, we can't be. I wrote this today. We can't be. Sorry, like not sorry, not the, the word. We can't, we can't change the past, but we can only move forward and make sure that the world we leave is better than the world we were born into. Um, we can't, we can't be, become defensive about what our ancestors did, but we need to know what they did so that we can make sure it doesn't happen again. Because this made um, Bill, I think it's Bill C twenty two, Michelle maybe, um, the maid. Um, People are dying because they cannot get the right supports because of disabled. So it, it's eugenics are still happening, and people that are multi marginalized, it's still happening. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm on a soapbox. It's just, it's been, I have lots of issues going on and hormones are. No, I appreciate you um, chiming in. Like we've talked a lot about eugenics here when it comes to um, the sterilization of Indigenous women, uh, that form of violence and had, um, you know, I had a better experience. I may not be here at all. I may just have had more kids and never had to unpack what racism is. And, you know, the, it's it has not been fun. Um, I highly don't recommend it. I also highly don't recommend, you know, not doing it as a family. Like, it's awful. I hate talking about it but it's every day. And that racism, misogyny is every day to have white men tell me how I'm angry rather than unpacking their own issues. Uh, Siri, thank you for coming and thank you for giving us the links that you have. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll look up this link here, this PDF, uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I read a lot of black women talking about, you know, the angry trope uh, that's used against us uh, racialized women. And for him to have done it and not got called out by anybody, you know, <laughs> it was just like awesome, awesome. Um, but it shows, it reminds me why I don't post and comment on a lot of uh, things uh, in her world because it's a truth they're not willing to hear. They don't want to hear. It's hard enough trying to fit in a white supremacist world um, when you're already there. So I just clicked on that. So we probably have low system resources here. Okay. So um, yeah, it's eight o'clock. I thank everybody for coming and for sharing what you learned. And if there's anything more you'd like, I, I'll stay and uh, record. And if there's anything else you'd like to share, you're more than welcome to stay until 8.30 and then we'll shut it down and go from there. So thank you all for coming and thank you for the folks who had to go uh, a little early, totally understand why. And um, I'm not gonna lie, I think the Zoom is the better way for many reasons. And that's just another one of them. Like, don't we wanna have it accessible, <laughs> right? So at least this is a way you can have it accessible. Yeah, yeah, Shelly, I bet. <laughs> right on.